The New York subway shooter trafficked in black nationalism. The CDC announces that mask mandates will be extended on planes, while the White House announces that Title 42 will be ended for illegal immigrants. And new reporting suggests Hunter Biden helped pay Joe's bills. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No? Me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, here is the thing. It's a pretty insecure time. I mean, from the economy to global events, you just feel a little insecure. But there's one place you need to feel the most secure, that is at your house. Now, I've been telling you about Ring Video Doorbell for quite a while, but it's not just a video doorbell anymore. Now they make a great alarm system. We rely in the Shapiro household on Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. That's why I've teamed up with Ring. You've probably heard me talk about how I use Ring Alarm to protect my home. I've gone pro now. I have Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is a next-level security system. CNET calls Ring Alarm Pro a giant leap for home security. After using it, I think they are totally right. Ring Alarm Pro helps protect my entire home and the Wi-Fi it runs on. With Ring Alarm Pro, Ring combined a home security system and a Wi-Fi router, so this thing helps protect your home and your network. So I have a secure network with a crazy strong signal for all the devices across my home, which is really important since I run, you know, an internet company. With a Ring Protect Pro subscription, which is an amazing deal, by the way, I get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call and can request emergency services. So go check out that Ring Alarm Pro today. Use the same service I use. Head on over to ring.com forward slash Ben. That is ring.com forward slash Ben. Well, let's say that there was a philosophy of the world, a worldview that was so horrific, so ugly, that it had generated a wide variety of terrorist attacks across the United States over the course of the past couple of years. And let's say that it was a theory of racial supremacy and racial resentment. Wouldn't you think that at some point we might have a large-scale discussion about whether this philosophy had become really, really dangerous? I mean, we have done this with white supremacy. Right. Every time there is a white supremacist terror attack, and this has happened in a wide variety of contexts, ranging from the South Carolina shooting to a shooting at Chabad in Poway, we've, we've talked about the evils of white supremacy because white supremacy is an evil idea. The idea that because of the color of your skin, you are therefore a member of a superior group and members of inferior groups need to be destroyed or that you need to have a separate nationality based solely on the color of your skin. Right? All of that is ugly, ugly stuff. Not only is it ugly stuff, the FBI has used its resources to target white nationalism and white supremacy. However, every time there is a terror attack involving a black nationalist, involving a black Hebrew Israelite, involving a black racist, all of that sort of stuff just goes away. It is just memory hold. And we now have that ugly specter with regard to the New York subway shooting. The Brooklyn suspect, whose name we will now not mention because he's been arrested. Right? Our rule is that we mentioned it when he was at large, but now he's no longer at large, so we want to give him glory and we don't want to give him attention. However, we do have to talk about his views because the simple fact is that the media in this country memory hole anything that does not comport with their view of the universe, which is why you don't know the name of the person, the black nationalist in Waukesha who ran somebody over, but you know Kyle Rittenhouse's name. This is just the way that it works in the media. And what that means is that bad and ugly philosophies are not only allowed to thrive, they're basically ignored. And if you pay attention to them, then you are called a racist. So if you pay attention to both, if you say white nationalism and white supremacy, evil, black nationalism and black supremacy, evil, if you say all of that, this makes you a racist in some way. The reason I bring this up again is because we now know the viewpoints of the purportedly insane person who shot 29 people at a subway station in New York. He was captured yesterday. The mayor of the city, Eric Adams, he came out and triumphantly said, we got him. 
I mean, you should be a little bit less triumphant about this simple fact when you didn't release the photo right away, when it took you a day and a half to capture somebody who obviously is not all there in many ways. And also when you captured him, as it turns out, because he called the cops on himself. But here was Mayor Eric Adams being very triumphal, triumphal about all of this. My fellow New Yorkers, we got him. We got him. Okay, well, I mean, slow clap for, for you doing your job, I guess. According to the New York Post, the smirking madman who turned a rush hour commute into a bloody terror when he opened fire in a crowded New York subway car, called Crime Stoppers on himself Wednesday morning, and then calmly went for an afternoon stroll through the East Village while he waited for the police to come get him. So not exactly stellar police work there. A call came into Crime Stoppers. The guy says, though I think you're looking for me, I'm seeing my picture all over the news. I'll be around this McDonald's. I want to clear things up. Law enforcement sources told the post of the bizarre moment the suspect called cops on himself. So the unit responds, he's not at the McDonald's. So they start driving around and they see a man who fits the description. When they take him into custody, they find his Wisconsin driver's license. A couple of eagle-eyed New Yorkers also flagged down a pair of cops after they spotted this guy sauntering through the East Village. He briefly sat in an outdoor dining shed and charged his phone at a Link NYC hub. The NYPD swooped in shortly afterward and put him into handcuffs. Now, there are a bunch of stories here that are of high relevance to how we ought to be facing down threats, ranging from the worldview threat, which we'll talk about in just one second, into this guy's criminal history. As it turns out, as always, this guy has a rap sheet as long as your arm. According to 6ABC.com, the man arrested in connection to the New York subway shooting has a lengthy criminal history and had talked about violence and mass shootings in videos posted on YouTube, including one uploaded as recently as Monday. Apparently, again, he's been arrested a bajillion times. His troubles date back decades with a string of arrests, according to authorities. Court records obtained by the Action News investigative team reveal a terroristic threat charge in New Jersey in the mid-90s. He was sentenced to probation and ordered to undergo behavioral health treatment in 2008. Apparently, he moved back to New York. He lived there for several years. He has prior arrests, nine of them, in New York City, nine, dating from 1992 to 1998 for offenses including possession of burglary tools, a criminal sex act, and theft of service. But he had no previous felony conviction, so he was able to purchase a gun. So this guy was bouncing in and out of jail. So criminal justice reform, here's what I would suggest. If you keep committing crimes over and over and over, my version of criminal justice reform is you go to jail and you stay in jail. That is it. That is my, I know it sounds insane, but probably if you just keep committing crimes over and over and over, including a criminal sex act, you probably should just stay in jail forever. This is why I'm a big supporter of the three strikes law that no longer applies in California. If you keep committing crimes over and over at a certain point, society has a right to lose patience with you until so you no longer have the ability to walk free and threaten other citizens. So once again, the entire criminal justice reform movement, which is predicated on the notion that people are being thrown in jail unjustly and for no reason, despite the fact that the recidivism rate for people who are released from jail is generally in excess of two thirds they, that, that is just wrongheaded. And it's been wrongheaded for a very long time. And if you want to see why there's a major crime spike in America's major cities, it is because of attempts by prosecutors not to prosecute people and keep them in jail. And this includes New York's attempts to get rid of things like cash bail in order to allow more criminals to walk the streets. Okay, but back to the philosophical issue here. So we now have a good amount of information on the viewpoint of this mass shooter. According to the Washington Examiner, the shooter, who is black, appears to be obsessed with race and his belief that some sort of racial Armageddon, specifically a white genocide against blacks, is coming to the United States. Now, think about that for a moment. We have been told that one of the hallmarks of white supremacy is the belief that there is a genocide coming to white people. White genocide, right? There's a genocide coming to white people from the masses of the earth. And this is one of the hallmarks of white supremacy. 
So here is a person who believes the opposite, that there is, in fact, a white genocide against blacks. And this is considered de rigueur for, for wide swaths of academia, that white people just want to white people, wipe black people off the face of the earth. I mean, the, the founder of the critical race theory movement, Derek Bell, literally wrote a story in his book, Faces from the Bottom of the Well, in which he talked about how white people, if they had the opportunity, would sell all black people in the United States to aliens and get rid of them, take them off planet Earth if they could. And that is considered just part of the normal parlance of politics in the United States. Now, this person believes the same thing. He believes there's a white genocide against black people. He also posted a rambling video three weeks ago. He said, quote, I can't blame people not wanting to hear what I'm talking about. He said, this is the prophet of truth channel, but I am the prophet of doom. That's what I've called myself since I've been on YouTube. So what do you want from me? Doomsday is actually about to be here. We're actually about to experience doomsday. What he meant by this was his apparent belief that white people were about to kill all black people and that the killing would soon begin. And he was angry at black people for not listening to him. He said, so of course, why would you want to watch and listen to the prophet of doom? I'm not mad at you one bit, but I'm going to talk about it because it has to be talked about. You know why we're going to die. You need to know why we're going to be destroyed. And black people have no sense of bleep like hogs or cows just chewing their effing cud until they take you to, I've said that to you, that's what we are, cattle waiting to be taken to the slaughter. So he's angry at black people because they are not awake to his notion that white people are about to wipe them off the face of the earth. And of course, he, in this video, posted warning of his intentions. Here's what he had to say. So as I leave the state of Wisconsin, about to be back in the state of Illinois, all I can say is good riddance. <laughs> And I will never be back again alive to that motherfucker. And he concluded by saying, N-words love living in a world of fantasy and make-believe not to think about bleep at all. Maybe that's for the best. So when them bombs start dropping, you won't have nothing on your MFing mind. No way. You'll be in a thoughtless state anyway. And hopefully whatever they drop will hit you so fast, so hard, you won't even realize all of this. Okay, so this guy's motives are pretty damned clear. And you can tell, by the way, from his social media posts that he has a long history of belief in black nationalism or black supremacy. Andy No went through this guy's Twitter post. And again, it is, it is filled with material that is, that is supportive of Black Lives Matter. It is filled with material that purports to talk about the possibility of a white genocide against black Americans. And yet none of this is really covered by the mainstream media. Right? You're not going to hear this in the New York Times. You're not going to hear it in the Washington Post. It's considered irrelevant. This is going to be memory hold as soon as humanly possible. Well, the folks in the media cover all of this stuff wrong, of course, which is why the media, frankly, should fire pretty much everyone and hire better people. Well, if you're looking to do the same thing, you need to check out ZipRecruiter because ZipRecruiter gets better every day at hiring the best people for your company. Their AI is always learning. So if you're hiring, their AI gets better and faster at finding the right candidates for all of your roles. There's a reason we here at Daily Wire have been using ZipRecruiter like crazy as we expand. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job, and then it proactively presents these candidates to you. You can easily review these recommended candidates, invite your top choices to apply for your job. That encourages them to apply faster. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the United States based on G2 ratings. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Again, we use ZipRecruiter here all the time. That's why all of our employees are on edge because they know at any moment, at any moment, we could just toss them off the side of the train and then we could just get somebody better via ZipRecruiter. Makes them better employees. And by the way, when we're hiring up, 
We're using ZipRecruiter to get more great employees. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Go check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Heather McDonald has a good piece about this over at City Journal, talking about the fact that the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has elevated white supremacist violence to the top of Justice Department priorities. Federal law enforcement agencies regularly warn about coming white nationalist attacks. If the hypothetical white subway shooter, if the subway shooter, she says, had been white, there's no question. All we'd be hearing about today are the evils of white nationalism, and you'd see the media trying to link that directly to Republicans. She is right about this because this has happened with every white nationalist shooting for the past several years, minimum. She says, if that hypothetical white subway shooter had been discovered to have posted tirades about black people, had he called for whites to get a gun and start shooting blacks, the global media would be in a nuclear meltdown about white supremacy. Protests would be breaking out across the country. Corporations would be emitting an avalanche of press releases about America's racial injustice. Instead, since the smoke bomb detonating race ranting shooter on a New York City N train Tuesday morning was black, his race and apparent anti-white hatred are nearly taboo subjects. The New York Times begins its front page story today about the carnage, quote, Hours after a gunman in an orange construction vest released two smoke grenades and fired at least 33 shots on an end train in Brooklyn, hundreds of police officers were searching. Detectives were seeking to question the man. The article continues through dozens of paragraphs without mentioning the shooter's race. The closest we get to any inclination of the shooter's racial obsessions is a discreet paragraph noting law enforcement officials have connected him with a YouTube channel where he delivered lengthy rants, many of them concerned with race and violence. Okay, now, if that had been a white supremacist, then it wouldn't have just been a... a sort of vague reference to race and violence, it would have been his white supremacist rants, right? The suspect is apprehended, says Heather McDonald, but while he remained at large, the public interest demanded every piece of relevant information that could aid in his apprehension be disseminated. But many media outlets simply refused to actually run with any of that. Also, as Heather McDonald points out, white supremacist violence in the United States is in general a non-issue in America today. 88% of interracial violence between blacks and whites is committed by blacks against whites. The dominant narrative from the government, business world, media, and academy, however, is that whites pose a lethal threat to blacks. The criminal justice system is supposedly driven by racism, bearing down on blacks for non-existent or trivial infractions in order to re-enslave them in prison. The race riots of the last two years on this view were an understandable eruption of rage against a racially oppressive regime. The Shooters like this one of the world may not read the New York Times or Washington Post, but the messages from those elite institutions seep into the world at large, providing ubiquitous justification for racial resentment and paranoia. On the same day as the Brooklyn subway carnage, the New York Times ran a long story about a 23-year-old woman who pled guilty to a felony hate crime. The defendant had tackled a black teenager in a Soho hotel after accusing him of stealing her phone. An Uber driver subsequently found the phone. The woman in this case was of Puerto Rican and Vietnamese descent, thus foreclosing the white hate crime perpetrator mean. Nevertheless, the Times cast the episode as a high-profile example of the kind of false accusation black people routinely confront in New York and elsewhere. This is the sort of routine stuff that you see in the New York Times. Now, these sorts of incidents do happen, but the broader overall narrative that is driven by the media is that black Americans are indubitably victims of the system, that the system is out to get them, and that therefore, if people have radical views on race, well, it's kind of justified by the horrific racial background of the United States. And again, situations in which black racism is responsible for serious crime are absolutely memory hold. We just pretend that it's not an issue at all. And if you just reverse the races in any of these cases, it would be a national news story for months on end. It would be a driving factor in presidential races. But if it is black Americans who have been radicalized, harming people who are not black, whether they are Asian, Jewish, or white, then it is not an issue in the slightest. Here's a perfect example. Local news story, right? The, the, the way the media determine whether something is a national news story is a local news story is whether it fits their narrative. So to take a perfect example, it is a national news story when a white supremacist 
shoots up a church, and it should be. And it is a local news story when you have an abortionist who has a house filled with aborted fetuses that are that are clearly violative of law. That, that when you have a serial killer like Kermit Gosnell, that is that's a local news story in Philadelphia, not a national news story. That's the way all of this works. Covington Catholic, a kid wearing a MAGA hat, supposedly being mean to a Native American, that not even being a real story, that being a false story. That's a national news story. But here's a local news story today. Okay, this is from the New York Post. Again, this happened like two days ago. You haven't heard this story. You won't hear this story because it's not a national news story. There's a reason it's not a national news story. Quote, an anti-Semitic New Jersey man went on a shocking hours-long crime spree targeting Hasidic Jews, having warned his family to expect a bloodbath, according to police documents. The attacker, 27, was charged with three counts of attempted murder as well as bias intimidation for allegedly running down two men and stabbing another in the chest on Saturday, according to Ocean County prosecutors. The spree started with a violent carjacking in Lakewood Township just after 1 p.m. Lakewood is a, a heavily Hasidic Jewish neighborhood and ended only 10 hours later when he was arrested at home in Manchester. Two of the victims, including an Orthodox Jew who was stabbed, were listed in critical but stable condition, according to the cops. This attacker was identified after an anonymous citizen tipped off cops after recognizing him in security video of the carjacking. A family member told cops that this person recently split from a girlfriend and warned them, quote, it's going to be a bloodbath. He was busted after being found on his bed holding what appeared to be a machete on his chest. He then confessed to detectives, telling them it had to be done because Hasidic Jews are, quote, the real devils. The FBI's New York office tweeted it was aware of the violence and was prepared to investigate if information comes to light of a potential federal violation. So apparently the person saying that Jews are devils and need to be exterminated, there needs to be a bloodbath, that does not rise to the level of a federal hate crime. Now, you may have noticed in that story, I did not mention the race of the suspect. That's because the New York Post does not anywhere in that story mention the race of the suspect. He's black. Okay, just as the, the vast majority of the cases of Jews being beaten in Williamsburg are, are being perpetrated by young black men, just as the, the majority of cases of hate crimes against Asian Americans in places like New York City are being perpetrated by young black men, we're supposed to pretend that this is not actually a crime that has anything to do with racial hatred because hate, racial hatred works only one way. This is something the left has now encoded into its own belief system. Now, for the normal person, you say racial hatred of any type is evil, evil. Right? If an Asian person beat up a black person on the basis of the black person's race, that would be evil. If a white person shot a black person on the basis of race, that would be evil. But according to the left, it can't actually be racist. If a black person shoots a Jewish person or stabs a Jewish person or punches a, an Asian elderly woman, and cracks her skull, none of that has anything to do with racism because racism, as we have learned from academia, is racial hatred combined with power. Right? This is the additive. And because black people supposedly don't hold power in the United States, therefore, what they're doing cannot be racist. And this is, by the way, is a mainstream belief in academia. And it's horse crap. It's nonsense. And it's incredibly dangerous. And we see the pattern here, again, to pretend that black supremacy or black nationalism are not an issue is not whataboutism. Okay, I'm saying all of this is bad. What's what aboutism is when there are people in the media who say we can't talk about black nationalism or black supremacy or how that ties into broader perceptions of the evils of a racist America and the power structures. We can't talk about any of that because white supremacy. That's what aboutism. It is not what aboutism to say white supremacy is a deep and grave evil and also black supremacy and black nationalism and movements that promote that are bad and wrong and predicated on lies. That's not what aboutism. That's just decency. Because remember, you don't even know the names of the people who have committed terror attacks that are predicated in black supremacy and black nationalism. And there have been a bunch of them over the course of the last couple of years. You remember that there was a Christmas parade in Wisconsin in which a bunch of women and children were run down 
by a man in a car. He was an ex-con, this particular person. You don't know his name. You know Kyle Rittenhouse's name. name okay, quick, name the person who uh, ran over people at this, at this Christmas parade. You remember the story. You remember that he killed six people. He killed more people than Kyle Rittenhouse, and none of them were in self-defense. He literally just took a car and ran people over. You don't know his name. There's a reason you don't know his name. It was a national news story for approximately 27 seconds. And then we found out that the person was a black nationalist, and then it just disappeared. And then it just didn't matter anymore. Because if we flash back, we'll remember that this person shared a series of disturbing memes and messages on social media. They included numerous posts about attacking cops, comparing them to the KKK, calling them violent street gangs, and calling for violence toward white people in general, according to screenshots. That's not a national news story. We don't count that as a national news story, of course, because it doesn't fit the preconceived narrative of the media. I mean, this person literally posted on social media, when we start back knocking white people TF out, I don't want to hear it. The old white people too. Knock them TF out, period. And you remember that, that, that guy killed six people. You remember that story. And we don't, and we're going to pretend that it has nothing to do with an overarching ideology at all. Or you could think about the, the fact that there was a, a man who attempted to murder a Democratic frontrunner to be the next mayor of Louisville. Remember this. And it turns out that he was a beloved Black Lives Matter figure from the local college who fell into black supremacy. This was a national news story for approximately 27 seconds. And you don't know his name either. You don't know his name because after all, we can't, pretend, we can't say that just because he had supported the black Hebrew Israelites, which is an anti-Semitic horrific movement, that just because he had support, we can't, that's not, a, that's not a movement that we're supposed to care about. We, we, we can't pay attention to the fact that, remember, we've had now months and months, well, years of coverage of the January 6th riots, which resulted in the direct deaths of no police officers. Okay, there was, there's still no evidence that the January 6th rioters actually murdered police. That's not to say they didn't attack police officers, they did. But there were no murders attributable to January 6th. The only person who was actually shot and killed on January 6th was Ashley Babbitt. There was a police officer at the Capitol who was murdered during that same time period by a Louis Farrakhan follower. You don't know that guy's name because it doesn't fit the narrative. He's a black supremacist. It doesn't fit the narrative. So we just don't cover it. And same thing with regard to the attack by a black Hebrew Israelite in Jersey City. He killed six people, including a police officer. You haven't heard his name. You don't care about his name because after all, he does, not fit the, he does not fit the pattern. He does not fit the narrative. At a certain point, you have to believe that this is no longer about actually attempting to root up bad ideologies. This is much more for the left about attempting to connect bad ideologies with your political opponents and then slander your political opponents by connection. And if there is a political ideology that can be connected to people who you kind of like, then you have to ignore the political ideology overall. And that's incredibly dangerous. Well, meanwhile, the economy continues to be on a razor's edge. Inflation rates are all-time highs right now. And we are about to watch interest rates rise pretty dramatically via the Federal Reserve, which means right now is the time to refi your mortgage. Like if you're waiting on it, I don't know what you're waiting for. I really don't. It makes no sense at all. You need to call my friends over at American Financing, America's home for home loans. Let a salary-based mortgage consultant walk you through the affordable ways to get into a home of your own. You'll learn about custom loans, competitive rates, fast closings, and the best part, you'll never have to pay upfront or hidden fees. That's a big deal because some places charge 500 bucks just to qualify. I'm telling you, it's worth the 10-minute call to learn more. You could be saving yourself thousands of dollars, especially since home values right now are looking 
pretty good with many markets up 20% or more, which means your investment could pay off quickly, setting you up for a healthy future. I've always said about investing in real estate that if you just hold on to the real estate long enough, eventually we'll have made a lot of money off of it. This is true, which is why you should be looking at American financing today. Learn more today with a free loan consultation at 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS 182-334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Check them out once again at AmericanFinancing.net. Okay, to change topics. Meanwhile, the Biden administration continues to pursue some of the worst and stupidest policy available anywhere. Uh, they, are, they are extending mask mandates on planes for no apparent reason. No one really understands why. There's no data to support this. According to the Washington Post, masks will continue to be required until at least May 3rd when flying commercially and in other transportation settings, including on buses, ferries, and subways, while health officials monitor an uptick in coronavirus cases. Monitor an uptick. So we haven't even seen an uptick yet. They're just monitoring for the possibility of an uptick. Even if there is an uptick, the level of natural immunity at this point, thanks to Omicron, is extraordinarily high. The level of vax immunity is extraordinarily high. So who cares? We don't do this for the flu. We don't do this for colds. We don't do this for anything. And now we are doing it for COVID. Again, for two more weeks. Two more weeks to stop the spread. Just forever. How about just forever? Really, it's to make Sonny Hostin comfortable, after all. The host of The View said that she doesn't want people breathing near her. You know, which would mean living, because breathing actually is connected to, to living, as it turns out. The agency said in a statement, quote, in order to assess the potential impact the rise of cases has on severe disease, including hospitalizations and death and healthcare system capacity, the CDC order will remain in place at this time. Now, there are a bunch of reasons this makes no sense. One, airplanes have never been a mass vector of transmission for COVID, ever. The HEPA filters are better on the planes than anywhere else in American society. The sterilization is better on planes than anywhere else in American society. And yet they have targeted planes. And the reason they've targeted planes is because they can target planes. After all, the federal government only has purview over a certain number of areas of American life. Airplanes are one of those areas. And so they've decided to crack down on the planes and mask up your two-year-old. And I got to tell you, flying today is really not pleasurable. You know, flying, it, it, it hasn't been pleasurable for a while, but it's become increasingly non-pleasurable. It used to be that when you got in a plane back in the 50s or 60s, people used to dress up to get on the plane, used to get your snacks, used to get like playing cards. And now, of course, they just kind of shovel you into steerage and all of the seats are seven inches wide and you're stuck between two people fighting for the elbow rest. But now it's even worse. Now they make you put a useless mask on your face that's doing nothing to stop, like nothing to stop Omicron by any available data. And, uh, and then they tell you that you have to put it up between bites. That if you're eating and you put it up between bites, that somehow this is going to prevent Omicron. And it really depends on the flight crew. If you get a flight crew from a red state, the flight crew is like, eh, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. And if you get a flight crew from a blue state, then the flight crew is... The hall monitor. They're like, we are going to come down there. We're going to come there. You're going to tell your mom. We're going to call your mom. We're going to call it. It's going to be a permanent record if you do not take that stupid piece of cloth and put it back up over your nose between bites of popcorn. You, you, you're sipping. I see you sipping. Stop with that sipping. And you see you gulp, gulp. Take, swig that drink. I don't want to see you sipping. And it, it, it's, it's just absurd. And again, there is no science to back any of this. The Biden administration just seems determined to, to be as bad at this as humanly possible. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki, who says that the best available science is that young boys should be turned into young girls if they ever experience any sort of gender confusion. She's a devotee of science, after all. She says men can get pregnant. This devotee of science, Jen Psaki, she also says that extending the mask mandate is just a science. Why two weeks? Uh, sure. What difference can be made in, in such a short amount of time? The data data gathering standpoint is that two weeks would give them some additional time to do that. Now, at the end of that two weeks, they can determine what's next after that. But um, but that is a that assessment they made so that they could gather more data of the rise of the subvariant. Oh, they need to gather more data. So let's see if the data supported you putting the mask back on. She would cite it. 
It doesn't. And therefore, we need to keep the mask on in order to gather more data. You see how this is unfalsifiable here? So if there's no rise, well, you know, we have to gather more data. And if there is a rise, you got to put the mask back on. So either way, you got to put the mask back on. Case counts have begun to rise in the Northeast, according to the Washington Post, as the BA2 subvariant of Omicron takes hold. While local mask mandates have largely been rolled back, the subvariant is prompting new debate on when masks should be required. The Biden administration has faced growing pressure to lift the mask mandates for air travel and public transit. Before the decision was announced, Nicholas Collio, the chief executive of trade group Airlines for America, wrote to the HHS secretary, Xavier Becerra, and CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, saying extending the mandate doesn't make sense. That, of course, is true. The mandate truthfully never made any sense. I mean, I was talking to the heads of major airlines at the beginning of the pandemic, and they were saying, listen, we have been doing studies on our planes, and this is not spreading via our planes. But the, the, the White House, whenever they are in trouble, they seem to call up Anthony Fauci because they're under the impression people like Anthony Fauci. I do not know why they think people like Anthony Fauci, probably for the same reason they think that people like Joe Biden. They're just completely disconnected from the American public. So Anthony Fauci, who's gone completely missing, he was last seen on the side of a milk carton. They dragged him out of, out of the grave, apparently, and then they just plopped him down on TV and they're like, explain why we have to remask on planes. I think making a decision for April 18th uh, I would agree that we really do need more time. It isn't like things are static. Things are moving. We're seeing an increase throughout the country. We're seeing it more so in certain cities and certain regions than others. And until we get a really good handle on it, I think it's prudent. I mean, I don't know what the official word has been about that. But if they do extend it, I would not be surprised. And I think that that would be a prudent thing to do. If I have to hear these schmucks say the word prudent one more time when they have pursued policies that have dramatically lowered American life expectancy, I think I'm going to vomit. Prudent, prudent. You know, in, yeah, it, we, have to, we have to just, out of an abundance of caution, prudent, prudent. You know what's, you know what's imprudent? Bad health policy that cracks down on the lives and the, and the happiness and the freedoms of hundreds of millions of people to make you slightly more comfortable, Dr. Fauci. That is not prudent. It's not prudent policy. You know how I know it's not prudent policy? Because you're not even following with regard to the border. So the same administration, which is telling you that your two-year-old is a threat to humanity and has to mask up on long flights. And I have a two-year-old and trying to mask her is a disaster area. Are you out of your damn minds? You got to mask up your two-year-old. But unless your two-year-old is an illegal immigrant, right? If you bring your two-year-old across the border, then we just are like, we're not even going to COVID test you. No Title 42. You just get shipped right to the interior of the country. Here is Jen Psaki explaining yesterday that illegal immigrants processed by Border Patrol, they're free to travel within the United States. And of course, this administration is rolling back Title 42. Can you give us any reaction to this busload of migrants arriving here in D.C.? Well, these are all migrants who have been processed by CBP and are free to travel. So it's nice the state of Texas is helping them get to their final destination as they await in their, their outcome of their immigration proceedings. And they're all in immigration proceedings. Mm, by the way, the Gen, the, the, the Gen Saki take here, which is that, uh, you know, it, the, it's, it's very bad. This is the, the left's very angry at Greg Abbott for taking illegal immigrants and putting them on buses and shipping them to Washington, D.C., because they're saying these people don't want to be in Washington, D.C. Uh, well, I mean, let's be real about this. No one wants to be in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is a terrible place filled with carjackings and politicians. So why would anyone want to be in Washington, D.C., including illegal immigrants? However, again, back to the abundance of caution point for these folks, who, again, are saying illegal immigrants can travel throughout the United States with COVID. We don't care. But your two-year-old on a plane is a real problem. It turns out all of this bad lockdown policy that's been pursued has had a dramatic impact on life expectancy in the United States. According to CNN, life expectancy in the United States took another hit in 2021, furthering a dramatic decline from 2020 that was the largest since World War II. The study, which is published on the preprint server MedRxiv, 
found that after falling nearly 1.9 years in 2020, life expectancy in the United States decreased another 0.4 years in 2021. It is not just, by the way, COVID-19 that caused all of this. This also was caused by an extraordinary number of drug overdoses in the United States. According to Dr. Stephen Wolf, study author and director emeritus of the Center on Society and Health at Virginia Commonwealth University, he said, this speaks threats, this speaks volumes about the life consequences of how the U.S. handled the pandemic. What happened in the U.S. is less about the variants than the levels of resistance of vaccination and the public's rejections of practices such as masking and mandates. But here's the problem. One of the big contributing factors to the lowered life expectancy was, in fact, things like drug overdoses, which emerges when you force teenagers to stay inside and not associate with one another. Jay Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford University, he says, listen, these lockdowns had a real impact on life expectancy in the United States. The consequence is completely predictable, Tucker. What we see is uh, in, in front of us is this, the, the, the fruits of a policy that led to one in four young adults in 2020 reporting serious consideration of suicide. So the, the alcoholism, the drug abuse, it is, was completely predictable and I think actually would have been avoidable had we taken a broader notion of what public health really means. Well, that obviously is true. So bad policy being pursued by the Biden administration, but we just call that any day ending in Y around here, which of course is why a new poll finds that Joe Biden's approval rating is down to, in some polls, 33%. 33%. One third of Americans think Joe Biden is doing a good job. By the way, that includes 26% of independents, one in four independents. 26% of Hispanics think he's doing a good job. Fewer Hispanics think that Joe Biden is doing a good job than white people think he's doing a good job. That's according to a new Quinnipiac poll released on Wednesday. And that follows hard on another poll from NBC News and CNBC showing him at 38%. So in other words, he is the most unpopular president in modern American history. He surpasses Donald Trump by leaps and bounds. People are wildly pessimistic about everything involving Joe Biden. That Q poll is just devastating. Again, if you, if you look at the stats, the, 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 you dig down into the stats, he only has a 76% approval rating among Democrats. Now, normally, that's a really, really low rating among members of your own party. And Donald Trump was up in the 90s with Republicans. Barack Obama was up in the 90s among Democrats. Joe Biden is at 76%, meaning that fully one in four Democrats is like, yeah, not so into it. 56% of independents think he's doing a crap job. 26% say that they approve. And of course, 94 to three Republicans are like, yeah, not interested. If you look at his handling of Ukraine, only 39% say that he is doing a good job on Ukraine. 48% disapprove. Also, if you look at his, his economic numbers, just brutal. People think he's doing a horrific job on the economy, mainly because he is doing a horrific job on the economy. So Joe Biden's approval numbers are just in the toilet. The problem for the, for the Democratic Party is they got no backup. I mean, there, there is no one waiting in the wings to, to save him here. And this is going to get worse for him. Well, in one second, we're going to get to Joe Biden's kid, Hunter, because it turns out there's a lot wrong with the kids. But that's also true more broadly. If there's one thing we can be sure of, it's that Disney has seriously screwed up and they are looking to screw up your kids. I mean, they're openly now stating that they wish to inject virulently left-wing social messaging into kids' content in order to indoctrinate your kids because you don't know what's best for your kids. They know what's best for your kids. Well, we think that's a bunch of crap, which is why The Daily Wire is now committed to investing $100 million into creating a platform for kids that's actually for kids. It is called, wait for it, DW Kids. Again, the reason we are doing this is your kid deserves a place where you can put your kid in front of the TV and you're not gonna have to worry that they're learning about transgender pansexuality. 
It really is not that difficult. Like I have little kids and it is difficult. You have little kids and you just want like a five minute break. You plop them down in front of the TV. Well, if you can't trust Disney, you need someplace you can trust. And that's what we are providing to you. We have hired the VeggieTales writers to help create our first two children's shows. Chilla Time, about a family of homeschooled chinchillas, and Doodles with Noodles, which centers on a man and his puppet giving drawing lessons. Over the next three years, we've committed to investing $100 million into kids' entertainment content because if you want to change the culture, we have to just make the culture and compete in the culture, and this is what Daily Wire is doing. But here's the thing. All of this is rather expensive. In fact, I can tell you the exact cost, $100 million. So we need your help to make that happen. When you get a membership here at Daily Wire, you're not just getting all the great stuff, you know, getting more of the show behind the paywall and hanging out with me on All Access and getting debunked and doing like all the great stuff that we do. You are also helping us to fight in the culture and provide an alternative for parents who don't want the woke rewarded with their money. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code BUILDTHEFUTURE for 45% off your membership. This offer ends today. So this is your last chance, 45% off today with promo code BUILDTHEFUTURE. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, it seems as though his relationship with his father is going to verge into the financial, which is really a problem for Joe Biden, because then Hunter Biden's corruption actually affects Joe Biden. Hunter Biden is a deeply corrupt figure. Everybody knows this. All of the talk about how you need to leave Hunter Biden alone is really pathetic. The man is in his sixth decade of life on planet Earth. So they keep treating him like he's 14, like he's being made fun of, like Chelsea Clinton was made fun of when she was like 12, or like she's the Bush daughters or something, or she's Malia and Sasha. Hunter Biden it, he, the man has like 15 years on me, okay? Like he is he is at best a middle-aged human. And he happens to also be a complete derelict who's running around picking up bags of cash on behalf of his family. As it turns out, I'm amazed that this story did not get more play. I really am. This is a story from April 9th. You probably haven't heard it yet. Okay, according to the New York Post, Hunter Biden's access to lucrative financial opportunities also came with expectations, including kicking back as much as 50% of his earnings to his dad. Text messages on his old laptop show. Hunter Biden grabs his daughter Naomi in January 2019, quote, I hope I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard, but don't worry. I'm like, Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. Pop, of course, would be Joe Biden. The expenses show that Hunter was routinely on the hook for his dad's household expenses while Joe was vice president. The expenses are spelled out in an email to Hunter from business partner Eric Schwerin from June 5th, 2010, entitled JRB Bills. They concern the upkeep of Joe Biden's palatial lakefront home in the wealthy Greenvale enclave of Wilmington, Delaware. JRB are Biden's initials. There were $1,239 in repairs to an air conditioner at Mom Mom's Cottage. Another $1,475 to a painter for back wall and columns at the lake house. There was also another $2,600 for fixing up a stone retaining wall at the lake and $475 for shutters. In an email five days later, Schwerin said he received Joe Biden's Delaware tax refund check, which suggests he had personal access to the Veep's finances. Schwerin was serving as president of Rosemont Seneca Partners, Hunter Biden's Chinese-linked investment firm. The email ties Biden even closer to the messy web of his son's business dealings. There's also evidence that Joe Biden sometimes reimbursed his son. I'm depositing it in his account and writing a check in that amount back to you since he owes it to you. Don't think I need to run it by him, but if you want to, go ahead, Schwerin wrote. In July 6th, 2010 email titled JRB Future Memo, Schwerin said he was in touch with the vice president about his personal financial matters and was eager to start discussions with him about how to cash in when he left office. Quote, your dad just called me about his mortgage and mentioned he'd be out a lot soon and not really back until Labor Day. He could use some positive news about his future earnings potential. Okay, so how is this not the big, honest to God, how is this not the biggest story in the country? Because the entire idea here is that there was some sort of Chinese firewall between 
Joe Biden and Hunter. That Joe didn't know anything Hunter was doing. And by the way, Hunter was totally innocent when he was just picking up bags of cash for being a cocaine-addled moron, hanging out in Ukraine, knowing nothing about natural gas, but picking up million-dollar checks from Burisma, or while he was in China, knowing nothing about investment, not knowing Chinese, and just picking up giant sacks filled with cash from the Chinese government front groups over there. But, but Joe knew nothing about it. Right? So number one, Hunter was innocent. How dare you ask about Hunter? No one has ever accused, no one's ever said, and Hunter's done anything rambadoo. And beyond that, even if he did do something rambadoo, well, you know, that wouldn't impact Joe because after all, their finances were completely, well, they weren't. They weren't. And what would you say if you knew that Joe Biden had basically been deploying his son, using his name all over planet Earth to pick up sacks of cash while Joe Biden was vice president? And then some of that money was being used to pay for mom mom's lakefront property upkeep. Wouldn't that look a little suspicious and corrupt to you? Wouldn't that look a little bit ugly to you? I'm confused, frankly, as to how this is not a massive story. And I don't care it's only a couple of grand. Because if it's a couple of grand, my guess is it's not just a couple of grand. Now listen, a lot of kids and parents, if you're close to your parents, every so often, you might sign a check for dinner and maybe you buy them dinner, maybe you buy them something or they buy you something. And like that, that happens all the time. That's, not, that's nothing unusual. What is unusual is when there are emails talking about your future earnings potential and you are asking the business partner of your son who's out there picking up corrupt bags of cash from foreign oligarchs using your name. That's weird when you're vice president of the United States. And it's even weirder when you're commingling funds to the extent that he is paying your bills and when there are text messages from that son to his own daughter talking about picking up half of dad's bills. That's strange. That's strange and it leans toward corruption. And frankly, I don't believe the story that Joe and Hunter didn't know anything about each other's finances. I don't believe it because the evidence does not suggest that. It does suggest high levels of corruption for Joe Biden, who spent his entire life in politics, presumably making a politician salary, which is not high, and yet somehow magically ends up with a bunch of lakefront properties, including a bunch of very expensive homes. And then suddenly starts clearing tens of millions of dollars the minute he gets out of office. And we still don't know where all that money came from, according to the Washington Examiner. All of it smells, it stinks. And the fact that the media have only now decided to start even remotely digging into this is demonstrative of the fact that they really, really wanted this doof to win the presidency in 2020. If it turns out that this relationship goes as deep as I think it actually does go, and that the media didn't bother to dig when all of this became available in October of 2020 just because they hated Trump, and let's just say that when Trump says that the election was rigged, it may not have been rigged in terms of electoral fraud, but the media definitely did their best to rig it by trying to cover this sort of stuff up. I mean, that, again, that story went completely unnoticed. That story is like five, five days old from the New York Post. Have you seen it repeated anywhere? Pretty incredible stuff. By the way, Chris Wallace did ask Joe Biden's sister about the relationship between Hunter and Joe. She did not have a lot of good answers here. Given his lack of experience in these areas, energy in, in Ukraine and energy in China, it, it, you, know, you can understand where people would think, gee, they were doing business with Hunter because they wanted to have some influence on Joe. Um, would it have been better for him just not to get involved in those deals? Uh, hindsight is everything. Look, from 2000, what, election was 2020, maybe 2018, these same, same charge, same accusations, same innuendos, um, nothing has come of it. Nothing has come of it is all, like, until something comes of it. It's all the same charges and innuendo. <laughs> Or maybe the media are just absolutely and shockingly incurious about all of this, especially considering the fact that Hunter Biden has been apparently under federal investigation since about 2018. Meanwhile, this, in, this administration is not just, I think, going to become more and more admired in corruption. 
That's just the cherry on top of the crap pie made by this administration. Then there's the actual policy of this administration. So Jen Psaki is out there and man, you got to give her credit. You do. I mean, it, it's got to be hard for Jen Psaki to go out there every day and just say stuff that she knows is untrue. It's got to be kind of rough. And she went out there yesterday and she's still clinging to the inflation is transitory line. I thought, I mean, maybe she's got, maybe she's got her old cue cards mixed up. I thought that one went out the window about six months ago, but here she is back explaining that inflation is transitory again, even though it is absolutely non-transitory. It's been, it is, it has been a feature of American life for about a year now. Here is Jen Psaki. Does the White House still view inflation as transitory? That is the view of the uh, Federal Reserve and outside economists, and they all continue to project it will come down this year. Uh, well, I mean, come down this year and be eliminated this year to the point where we're back to 2% is another question. And also, inflation was supposed to naturally come down. It wasn't supposed to be jacked down by the Federal Reserve by raising interest rates 0.5 you know, every couple of weeks here. And meanwhile, Jen Psaki tried to steer the Biden administration away from blame, as she usually does. So here she was spinning like a top. Does the president then acknowledge any responsibility for the inflation that we're seeing now based on the decisions that he's made when he came into office? Well, I would say, as the president has talked about quite a bit, there are a range of factors, including uh, the pandemic, the impact on the supply chains, and our effort. And what we've tried to do from the beginning is take steps to address that, address the supply chains. And we've had a lot of success. Uh, no, you haven't. You've been a complete failure in every respect, which is why you have Joe Manchin out there, a senator from West Virginia, saying, you know, if they won't do Keystone XL, what if we just call it something else? What if we just call it not Keystone X? <laughs> we just call it like Bob, the pipeline, and then we fund it that way. The brand of the XL pipeline uh, is probably gone. Can it be rebranded? Can it be rerouted? Can it be used different things? We need this product. You all have a product that we have to have in order for us to meet the demand of not only our country, but your country too and the world. Yeah, so um, things are going very, very poorly for this administration as well. They should which is why Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell now says that he has the best climate for Republicans in 30 years. Well, yeah, that's because Joe Biden is the worst president in approximately 40 years, really, since Jimmy Carter. So this is, you know, all bad news for Democrats, really, really bad news for Democrats. And I, honestly, I'm not sure how they pull out of the tailspin. They are so wedded to their own bad policy that I, I think they are kind of stuck here. Okay, meanwhile, worth noting that Elon Musk, is now making an aggressive move to just buy out Twitter. So there was a lot of talk a little bit earlier this week about Elon Musk joining the board of Twitter and then saying that he wasn't going to join the board of Twitter. There's speculation that maybe he was being locked out by the board of Twitter and all the rest of this. It turns out that what he really was doing is he was not joining the board of Twitter so he could make an offer to buy the whole shebang, which of course is freaking the living hell out of everybody on the left. They are losing their minds. And the reason they're losing their minds, of course, is because Elon Musk is going to come in. He's going to open up Twitter. Everyone assumes this is going to happen. He's been extraordinarily critical of Twitter for Twitter's failure to allow sites like the Babylon Bee to post satire, for the failure of, of Twitter to allow people to post basic biological facts like men are men and women are women. They're, they're random and absurd crackdowns and shadow banning of particular accounts. Musk is very critical of all of this. And so now he's going to put his money where his mouth is. On Thursday morning, the Daily Wire reported that Elon Musk is offering to buy 100% of Twitter at 54 bucks 20 per share in cash in a deal that could be worth more than $40 billion, which for Elon Musk uh, is just the change that, that was in his couch. Thanks to the SEC filing submitted Wednesday evening, readers can now see the exact pitch made by Musk in which he promises Twitter his offer is a high price and your shareholders will love it. Rebel News' Ezra Levant flagged the voice and text message sent from Musk to Twitter, tweeting, do yourself a favor, take a minute to read Elon Musk's text and voice message to Twitter executives. So... Here is uh, the, the text that he said, quote, 
As I indicated this weekend, I believe the company should be private to go through the changes that need to be made. After the past several days of thinking this over, I've decided I want to acquire the company and take it private. I'm going to send you an offer letter tonight. It will be public in the morning. Are you available to chat? And then here's the voice script. One, best and final. I'm not playing the back and forth game. I move straight to the end. It is a high price and your shareholders will love it. If the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. <laughs> now, remember, Musk now owns outright like 9% of Twitter or something. So if he decides that he's like, you know what? I hate this company. I'm done. And he just dumps those shares on the open market. He tanks the stock. He says, this is not a threat. It is simply not a good investment without the changes that need to be made. And those changes will not happen without taking the company private. So basically, he's now holding them up. He's now saying, here's the deal. Either I'm going to dump all my stock on the open market and completely destroy your stock price in the public markets, or you're going to sell me your company at a fairly lucrative price, and I'm going to take the company private, and I'm going to fire everybody over there. And I'm going to turn your, I'm going to salt the earth where your headquarters once stood. He says, my advisors and my team are available after you get the letter to answer any questions. There'll be more detail in our public filings. After you receive the letter and review the public filings, your team can call my family office with any questions. He also said there will be distractions ahead. Our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The, sorry, this is the Twitter CEO, Parag Agrawal. He had said it on Sunday evening that Elon Musk had decided not to join the board. And he had said, oh yeah, no, we're still having talks with Elon. Now Musk is like, yeah, you know what? No, I don't like you. I don't like anybody on this board. And if you wish to sell to me, then I will consider keeping my stake. And if you do not wish to sell to me, then I will just wreck you. So really, really, really good stuff here from Elon Musk. Seriously, I think Elon Musk is one of the people saving the country, clearly. I mean, not only because he's entrepreneurial, not only because he has FU money and actually says FU to people, not only because he is revitalizing the entire practice of space travel right now, but also because he is willing to use the power of the market in order to actually flex on behalf of things like free speech. And you can see the people who are absolutely losing their minds over this. It's amazing. You're seeing a bunch of people on the left saying, oh, well, you know, what, what Twitter really needs is more monitoring, more, yes, we can see you. We know what you're doing. We can see all of it. We can see how you wish to prevent people from actually speaking truth online. We can see all of it. And so can Elon Musk. And the fact that he's now flexing is just spectacular. So good for Elon Musk. And we can only hope and pray that the, uh, the board of Twitter takes him up on the offer. But frankly, either way, it's a win for Elon Musk because even if he just dumps the stock and gets back most of his money and sinks Twitter's stock, Twitter will have taken it directly on the chin. So honestly, it is one of the happier developments in American life right now watching Elon Musk work. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Knowles Show that's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our production manager is Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and Makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production Assistant, Jessica Crand. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Joe Biden reportedly plans to extend the federal mask mandate. Just two more weeks. Hollywood hypocrites remove a gay movie scene to appease China. And Charlie Kirk explains why tall buildings turn people into libs. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Hey, 